Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, parents have been forced to manage their children's educations in a much more hands-on manner, thanks to school closures demanded by teachers' unions. One of the consequences has been an increasing awareness of the influence of critical race theory in even elementary-level schooling. Joining me to discuss the campaign against critical race theory in education is Erica Sanzi, Director of Outreach for Parents Defending Education. Uh, Erica, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and the work of Parents Defending Education? Sure. Um, I'm a mother of three sons who are in school, uh, or school-aged, I should say, and I spent over a decade working in schools as a teacher and also a dean of students. Where, uh, where, where in the country, just so that people know? I live in Rhode Island, okay. uh, and I taught in Massachusetts, California, and Rhode Island, and was a member of a teacher's union, uh, mm. the NEA, in Massachusetts mm. and also California. Mm. And then I also served one term on an, my elected school committee here in the town where I live um, okay. from 2010 to 2012. Mm. And so, parents defend, so how did Parents Defending Education come about, and how did you get involved with them? Parents Defending Education is the brainchild of our president and founder, Nicole Neely. Um, she was running an organization called Speech First, which mainly concentrated on uh, concerns about free speech on college campuses. Mm. And and then as she became much more aware of what was happening in the K-12 space, not only related to free speech, although that is one big issue, um, that has us concerned, but also the political activism happening in classrooms. Right, the, the, the sort of the indoctrination and. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So we are so we are tackling what we see as um, you know a, a very hard push against diversity of viewpoint, and we see students and staff being compelled to say things that they don't actually believe, and we see students who do raise disagreements or again. A different point of view, uh, not only being shut down in silence, but actually being accused of uh, being hateful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess uh, we should, for our, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with the sort of uh, teaching and the sort of ideology that's being pushed uh, in these uh, K twelve schools under the what has been called the what has been called critical race theory. Of course, the critical race theorists say true critical race theory has never been tried. Uh, so they'll, they might call it something else, but the, you know, what, what are the sort of things that they're be that the kids are being taught that the kids are being indoctrinated in that are so alarming? Yeah. Um, I think that your point about critical race theory becoming this umbrella term. And in some ways, I think that that's not good for the cause only because it goes, it goes beyond that. Um, But certainly critical theory is sort of this hydra and it has multiple heads. And the two main ones that we see. Before we get to the heads, let's look at the body. So the critical, the critical theory that, as I recall from my university education, that's a like a Marxist mode of class analysis. Correct. Am I, am I in so, the same? Am I in the right ballpark? Yes, and and the way that it started was that it was it was a way of dividing people based on class, and and very much about you know disrupting, dismantling, and 
and ultimately sort of blowing up the system. I mean, it was it, what, it, it was in the service of com- of the prospective communist revolution that at least as of this moment has not all the way come. <laughs> yes. And what we see in schools now uh, are, well, two things. One is, is they've sort of moved totally away from this class-based attempt at dividing people and stoking division and resentment. And instead, they've moved it over to race. And then they've started to use terms that are much more anodyne so, so basically, So basically, instead of, you know, under, under the, old, the old Marxists, the old, uh, the old critical theorists would have been dividing... You know the working class from the bourgeoisie, from the petty bourgeoisie, from the 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 rentiers of capital, uh, the rich from the poor, that sort of thing. You know now the new critical race theorists are dividing, you know, the whites and Asians from everybody else in some sort of rank order. Yeah, and we actually see, I mean, documentation where very young students as well as staff during the professional development are literally being forced to identify their group identities. So they have to say, you know, what's their race? What's their nation of origin? What's their gender? What's their sexual orientation? You know, do they mm-hmm. identify as the, uh, you know, whether and this, they're and transgender this is in, and this is in a fra- And this is in a framework where, I mean, it's almost like there's a right and wrong answer because there's an oppressor side and then an oppressed side. And I mean, somebody like me, who is a, uh, you know, white, nominally Christian, but not particularly religious male from the American suburbs, uh, I give a lot of wrong answers. (laughs) Yes. So you would check sort of all the wrong boxes because after you checked those boxes, you would then be asked to locate all of your different group identities on what's called an oppression matrix. And so usually what happens is the students are looking at columns and almost like a grid, and then they see which ones fall under the dominant culture. It's sometimes called, it's often Mm -hmm. called oppressor, Mm -hmm. or they fall under the oppressed, or it's sometimes called targeted. And so suddenly, you know, children and, and, and adults, again, who are being forced to do this during their trainings, are, are, are suddenly looking at all of their identities in this framework of every single group identity you hold puts you either on the side of the oppressor and the oppressed. Mm. And so we see, again, so this means that, you know, other people's daughters in school are being taught as fact that they are members of an oppressed class because they are female mm-hmm. in the year 2021 in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then, so how, how sort of extensive is this sort of teaching? I mean, you know, my, my kids, thank God, given the way that the teachers unions in Maryland have behaved, uh, are not school age, uh, but they will be soon. Uh, is this the sort of thing that, you know, no matter where our listeners are, if they have children and they become aware of what they're being taught, they're going to see this? Or is this something that's only percolate, that's still percolating out from the San Francisco's and the Boston's and the, uh, you know, Washington DC's and whatnot? So what I would say is it's very pervasive. So I would 
say that based on what we know, we you know, our organization launched the end of March, and we can now say that it is happening in every state. But that certainly does not mean that it's happening in every school or in every district. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, it, the, the it can vary a lot. So you can have a really extreme case like Evanston, Illinois, where kindergartners were reading this book that talks to them about how, you know, whiteness has always been a bad deal and they shouldn't lean into their whiteness. And it has imagery of a devil, uh, sort of representative of their whiteness right so that's Mm -hmm. a very extreme case and then you might all and then you might have another school where maybe high school students are all being required to read a book by ibram kendi Mm -hmm. um and perhaps they're having discussion groups about that book that are racially segregated Mm -hmm. so this can look very different in different places so like my children are all school age two were um, in our public district school last year my oldest is in a parochial high school it hasn't really start you know i haven't really seen it on a personal level Mm -hmm. um but i live in a very small state and there are districts that are you know 30 minutes away from me where there are the concerns of parents are such that they are rising up. I see. So it really does vary. So it's not only the San Francisco, the Chicago, the Bostons, the LAs, but it is pervasive. So for example, when, when you, when you turn on the TV and people say it's everywhere, that I think is a little bit hyperbolic, Mm -hmm. but it's very pervasive. So, so so kind of back, you know, back to my analogy it's like we haven't reached the ocean yet but we're we're definitely in an alluvial plain where it's all starting to spread out and start and even if it hasn't come to your district yet it might if it's not arrested yes and 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 usually um you know when a diversity equity and inclusion initiative starts and this and this was already a thing but the death of george floyd really accelerated this mm-hmm. in a lot of places school districts were getting pressure either, either they were getting I mean, I mean and, there, and there was a lot of money being thrown around by big Correct. philanthropy uh, Correct. to all these you know left of center racially focused organizations to uh, to expand their their outreach, and one of the places, of course, they went was public education. Right, and also it's the kind of thing that got outsourced and delegated. So the people that said you need to do something didn't actually play a role in what that something was. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, the bright, shiny diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that are very expensive and very divisive and have not only, you know, sh- been shown not to be effective, but they've Ang- been angry, shown angry, they- Basically, angry liberal parents go to school board. School board doesn't want to deal with it. They kick it to Robin D'Angelo, spend $50,000, $100,000, however much it is, and that's how it gets in. Right. And then you have, right, and then you have other programs now that exist that are almost promising an alternative to the program that just destroyed the organization because um you know there's one woman her name's chloe valdry and she does a lot of sort of she does anti-racism work but in the old definition of anti-racism more civil rights act of 1964 not ibram x kendi correct department of chamber of revision that can override any government action that he doesn't like 
Correct. And she <laughs> she said that her business had blown up because, you know, CEOs and nonprofit leaders were contacting her saying, oh, my God, we brought in this program. It has like destroyed our organization. Is there any way you could come in and help us put ourselves back together? Hmm. And and so that is um, so it's not that, you know, I'm not here to make the case that there are no programs that look to do diversity work um, in a way that's constructive and healthy yeah, and, and, and positive in an honorable, and in an honorable fashion that's consistent with the, you know, goals, aims, and understandings of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. <laughs> Correct. So, right, exactly. So there's a woman named Irshad Manji. She um, founded the Moral Courage Project. She now has a Moral Courage education, and her whole thing is doing diversity without inflaming the culture wars and she promised that she she will she refuses to use division and refuses to use shame well that Mm -hmm. automatically makes her different than the vast majority of programs that have come into the public school system i see um so where uh what are some of i mean i know we mentioned some of the big philanthropy activity and sort of in passing after the uh after the death of george floyd um there's also been obviously there's been now legislative pushback in some states, and that has brought the teachers' unions, the National Education Association, and the American Federation of Teachers out very strongly in support of critical race theory in the classrooms. Uh, what, what sort of other uh, organizations have been, have been trying to generate this, uh, the, this uh, very radical curriculum? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, one of the things that we all have to understand is how schools of education have been steeped in this so- social justice endeavor for a very long time. It's how we've gotten to a place where the majority of teachers do not, were not trained in how to teach children to learn to read, but they were trained in how to use education as a lever for social justice. Mm-hmm. So the ed schools are definitely one place um, that has, you know, helped to get us here, not to mention college campuses in general. Mm-hmm. And then there's just this whole activist class that has, I think, become much louder, much noisier, much scarier, uh, if we're being honest. And so what has happened is that not only are these are the programs being pushed and brought in by, because um, I should also actually add that. One of the union strategies, especially after they lost that Supreme Court case with Janice and they knew that they, that their members were going to be able to opt out of at least right. part of their membership, one of their strategies was to infiltrate school boards. I mean, and, and, and they've and teacher, I mean, teachers unions have been a through their endorsements through that that Apple ballot have been a strong influence on school boards and state superintendent of education elections for forever and yes. and it's and I, I'm again I'm sure it's only gotten worse that's right so it's so it's only gotten worse and so you have now um, even organizations like the the national state teacher of the year organization you know they've become so activist in their work as well so the, so you you see you see former teachers of the year who again I mean I don't like to use the word radical necessarily, but who are highly ideological mm. and who are, are bringing um, what feels like a 
very racially charged dogma into the schools, right? They too mm. are running for school board seats. And so it's, so it's coming in all of these directions. And usually people call, you know, the education bureaucracy, the blob for a reason. It's so multi-layered and confusing. And, and so, so it's hard to get a window into what's really happening. I mean, and that, and that actually brings up, that's a, a nice segue to something that, uh, that I was going to bring up. So we, there was this uh, case in Fairfax right outside of D.C. where uh, uh, there was some some uh, uh, some protest some protests against uh, the they're doing they're changing how uh, Thomas Jefferson High School the the mm-hmm. uh, science and technology gifted high school uh, is doing admissions in a way. Uh, that sort of aligns more with this critical race theory, quote unquote, racial equity uh, ideology. And uh, there was a uh, uh, an official with the 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 county NAACP uh, who, you know, told the told the protest, you know, she told the protesters, quote, let them die <laughs> or said of the yeah. protesters, let them die. Uh, how has, you know, is, is she representative of the sort of the blob pushback, you know, maybe on a more extreme end? Or, or is that just kind of one one person in a very, very radically blue jurisdiction being radical? I mean, I think to get, you know, to be to publicly use that language is extreme, but it, it, it is reflective of the response that we see parents who ask questions or push back are getting. I mean, just looking at the smears that come at my colleagues for the work that we do at this organization, you know, that's one thing, right? So the constant name calling and the, you're, you know, you're a racist, you're a white supremacist, mm-hmm. you're a white nationalist, you're a transphobic, you're the, you know, you're, we're all these things. Right. We see those same insults being hurled at rank and file parents who just, have questions and concerns and don't like what's happening. And yeah, aren't these are these are the, these are the parents whose whose kids have been forced to learn at home all year because the teachers unions closed their schools, and they were paying attention when the kid was on Zoom and they saw things that they did that they were concerned by. That some of the things that you were discussing earlier, and now they're, and right. now they're and trying it, to speak their mind. That's right, and it happened at a time. If you think about the timeline, right? Like at the same time that the schools suddenly started pumping so many millions of dollars into these diversity and equity initiatives and, you know, assignments and, 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 uh, materials and curriculum and, and the language, like everything was getting so extreme at the same time that parents were, you know, listening in on school while they were making dinner or trying to do their own jobs. Right. And, and, so, and, and, uh, and I think, you know, we do need to draw, cause this is, you know the defenders of the of the uh, race conscious critical race theory, quote unquote, anti racist uh, Ibram X Kendi curriculum would say, well, you know they the the educators have free speech; they should be able to present multiple sides of an issue. But you know certainly what you were describing was not uh, you know was not debate, and no. you know do we really expect uh, you know kindergartners, first graders fifth graders, eighth graders, uh, to be able to, you know, fully debate public policy issues that are being handed down to them by teachers who can, you know, theoretically fail them. 
So you, you make a bunch of points. Number one, uh, teachers actually don't have the same level of free speech that a lot of people think that they do in the sense that they're hired speech by the state mm -hmm. and the state determines what they're supposed to teach. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of number one. And number two, there is no question because we hear from students all the time who say, I just write what she wants me to write so that I can get the grade, right? Like they, right, so they don't like get, so they don't get failed out for, they feel, yeah, they feel like their teachers have so much control over their, their futures in a way. Right. So that what happens is as soon as they, you know, push back, raise their hand, maybe they've read an article that contradicts what the teacher is claiming, or maybe they've actually seen some data that, that contradicts what the teacher is saying. And they may, they, they may just try to share that. And mm -hmm. as they get shut down and sometimes shamed and even accused, you know, you know, we don't feel safe in this classroom with you speaking that right. way. A lot of times the kids will be like, it's just not worth it. And so right. instead they'll kind of roll their eyes. They'll tell the teacher what they want to hear. Um, and then they'll continue to form their own opinions privately. But that's such an unhealthy dynamic yeah, I mean that's that's like Eastern Europe in in the eighties. Exactly. I mean, it's, that's, it's an that's not dynamic. that's not what we're supposed to be. That's not how we're supposed to be raising kids in a ostensibly democratic country. That's a, that that's exactly right. So so and then when you add the part about why are you know why are teachers projecting their politics onto other people's elementary age children, um, particularly when the academic outcomes are so poor in so many places that there is zero justification for focusing on all of these sort of controversial um, topics that require a lot of knowledge. You have, you have to be able, you have to be able to read, write and probably do arithmetic to do in-depth social analysis on your own. Right. I mean, it so, takes so vomiting back in-depth social analysis to kids you have that your teacher's union education has failed to teach to read, write, and do arithmetic. <laughs> I mean, I literally got a message today from a parent who's concerned about the, the anti-racist resources listed on her school's website, and she sends the link, right? So I go for, and Just I for our listeners, anti-racist, when used in this context, is Ibram X. Kendiism. That, that, is, yes. that is what he calls his ideology. It is not the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I'm sorry with the right. interruption. Please continue. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. Right. And, and and it is important for people to know that, like, it's not enough not to be racist. They'll say there's no such thing as not being racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. And that includes you need to be actively working to dismantle and disrupt uh, systemic racism. Um, and so so I go to the link and the resources were Huffington Post was there a bunch of times. Vox was there. Uh, Glamour Magazine was there, The Guardian. So even, I mean, just if you yeah, think about that for, for a second. for liberal outlets. Now, there, and so and one, and the, one of the parents' complaints was, was these are unvetted, they, they felt they were unvetted, totally biased, um, highly ideological, and they said riddled with inaccuracies. So, and that was just, again, that's just a sampling of, I mean, they also have right. up on their website, this thing called woke kindergarten. If, if, if you ever want to feel really depressed, go to woke kindergarten on YouTube, because what it, what it does 
it's it, it, it's designed for children and it is like your heart will sink when you see what they are saying and what they are teaching and what they are telling children that they need to do well and that's uh, a reason again that's a record that's a recommended resource coming from their school now there's yeah, a, yeah, is, there, no, is, is there a good chance that a diversity equity and inclusion director put up all these resources and the head of school has no idea and the school board has no idea very likely because mm. again right this has been outsourced and so and what we also see is the patterns are always the same First, they hire the director, then they do an equity audit, then they send out these surveys to students that have very intrusive, um, inappropriate questions that one could easily argue are none of the school's business mm -hmm. and often include vocabulary that the children don't even know what they mean. Like, does a fifth grader need to answer whether he's heterosexual, homosexual, pansexual, demisexual, bisexual. I mean, yeah, would he, would he even know he or she even no, know at that point? Mine like, <laughs> I mean, exactly. So, so you have, so you have these intrusive surveys coming and then, and then you wonder what are what are they even doing, you know, with this data, then they form these committees and these task forces. So, I mean, it all kind of follows this same, and this, this was an $8 billion business before the death of George Floyd. And it has exploded since. So what has happened, if anyone goes on, like if anyone, everyone is looking for jobs, they'll be like, I go on these job sites and all I see are postings for DEI directors, coordinators. Mm -hmm. So Just it's because big, there's so much is, money is sloshing around chasing this is stuff. Big, this is big business. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, on that depressing note, before we break... Uh, do you have anything you'd like to promote or let our listeners know about that you guys are doing over at Parents Defending Education? Oh, sure. Thanks for asking. Um, well, our website is defendinged.org. Um, we have a lot of resources there for parents. So even if it's just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I want to speak at my school board meeting, but I've never done that before. You know, we have tips mm. for that. We have tips for having a meeting with the principal. We have um, information about how to file public records requests if you're getting you know, if your questions aren't being answered. And I, I'm going to endorse strongly open records requests. Uh, you know, we do some of that at Capital Research Center. We've seen a lot of uh, a lot of the reporting that uh, groups like Parents Defending Education, people like Chris Rufo, the Manhattan Institute, people like yep. the Free Beacon that they are able to do uh, is because uh, people, and in some, in some states you have to be a resident of the state or a resident of the jurisdiction to access the open records laws. Uh, so... You know, open records requests are a crucial way uh, to keep the the light of truth shining on your local government and your local schools. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> really important too because transparency <clears throat> is not high on the list of priorities for a lot of school districts. And in fact, we've heard from parents in multiple districts who have been told that they can't view the curriculum materials because of copyright restrictions because the diversity consulting companies own the rights. Wow. So, yeah. So, uh, in fact, that that's happened now enough times that I, I think it's something that we're going to need to think about looking at, you know, in terms of a trend and, and, and writing something up about that. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, we have lots of resources. Um, uh, we also have listed their parent groups that already exist. So, if a person's saying, you know, I'd like to see if there's already like-minded people in my area, maybe I could get involved with a group. They can go on our website, look on the map. It may be that there is already a group that exists. And if there isn't, 
Um, we have people on our team who help parents get groups off the ground mm. if they want to start one. Uh, and also we have, we, we list incidents. So people write to us with, with concerns about things happening in their schools, in their districts. We look into it and we vet it. And if we find enough corroboration and documentation, we add it to our map. It's called our indoctrination map. Um, and then we do a short write-up full of links and primary source documents so people can see for themselves what is happening. Very good. Uh, well, thank you again for joining us, Erica. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, <coughs> thank you again for joining us, Erica. And that's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>